All right, we're going to be looking in today in the book of Deuteronomy. Let's bow before we start. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us. Teach us what you would want us to see from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting at verse 30. When you are in tri tribulation and all these things have come upon you, even in the latter days, if you turn to the Lord your God and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore unto them. For ask now in the, of the days that are just, that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man upon the earth. Ask from the one side of heaven to the other whether there has been any such thing as great as this that, or has been heard of it. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of a fire as you have heard it and live? Or hath God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temp temptation, by signs, and by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by an outstretched arm, and by a great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Unto you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is, he is God. There is none else beside him. Out of heaven he have made to hear his voice, and he hath instructed you, and upon earth he showed you his great fire, and has heard, and you have heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them, and brought you out of his, in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt, to drive out nations from before the great power and mighty that you are, a mightier than you are, to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is. Know therefore this day and consider in, in your heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath there is none else. I've been thinking as I've been listening to a lot of people saying they're glad 2020 is over. You know, and I'm thinking about this and when people are saying that, they're saying an awful lot about what they think about what God has put us through. And I know 2020 has been a terrible year for many ways. But you know, God is still God. He is still in charge. And he's still who he is. And this is why I'm, my last one before we go back to our regular studies in Luke is to, to encourage us in this new year through this section of scripture. It starts out, not if you are in tribulation, but when you are in tribulation. And I think about this we tend to get this idea that when we're following God, everything is going to be good and there's not going to be any problems. Uh, I don't find anybody in the Bible that had that happen to them. Uh, I've just kind of flipped through just in the very first section. We look at Noah. Noah had a really hard time. God called him at age 500 to start building an ark. He spent 120 years building an ark. But you know, that's not even the worst of it. You know, we understand he was probably teased and, and made fun of because he's building this great big boat in a time when nobody had rain, no floods. But if you thought what it would have been like when he and his family and the animals got on that ark and God shut the door and the rain started coming, his family that wasn't his immediate family was outside the ark. All of his friends and neighbors 
were outside of that ark. They're not that far from creation, so he understood that everybody outside that ark was family. And he had to hear people probably pounding on that ark door, let us in once that rain started. And God had shut the door. That was tribulation. That was trials. We think about Abraham. Do you realize that Abraham was approximately 75 years old when God called him out of Haran after his father died? He started his ministry at age 75 on his call. God promised him that he was going to have descendants that numbered the stars of the skies and the stand of the sea. And at age 99, he still didn't have a child. For 24 years, at least, we know that he was waiting for a child. Now, he had Ishmael 10 years before that, but Ishmael was not the son of promise. Sarah is in her 80s without a child. And God says, you're still going to have a child. How many of us are ready to start working at, at an older age to begin with? How many of us are ready to go two and a half, three decades without seeing what we think God is supposed to do for us? We usually get kind of tired after just, uh, you know, we've had one year of COVID. How many people are tired of COVID? You know, I am, like everybody else. I'm tired of hearing about it more than anything else. Because I have family members who've had COVID and are over it. Yes, do I know people have died from COVID. Yes, I understand that. Yes, I understand people die by the flu and everything else that's out there and call automobile accidents and cancer and all these other things. Things happen. We live in a fallen world. But God is saying not if bad things happen, but when bad things happen in our life, he is still in charge. And this is what I'm going to call us to be focused on, remembering God is still in charge. No matter how bad things seem, he's still there. Joseph was given a dream that his brothers and his family were going to bow down to him. He was age 17. His brothers fixed him. They sent him into slavery. 30 years later, he gets promoted. And nine years later, his brothers come and bow before him not knowing who he was. Could you have waited 22 years to see what God has said is going to happen? What am I trying to do? God's time is not our time. Too many times we say, God, you've told me to do this, and when we don't get what we think is supposed to happen within 20 seconds, well, we, might, we might give him a few months, maybe a year, but in God's mindset, it's 20 seconds. He says, I didn't tell you when I was going to make this happen. I just told you it was going to happen. For Abraham, his descendants didn't number to the stars of the heavens and the, and the sand of the sea until two generations afterwards when, when Jacob's family left Egypt. So let's, let's say six generations because they were in Egypt for four. So we have a long period of time. God says, now God came up in heaven and goes, see, Abraham, I told you your descendants were going to be 
be large. Even though Abraham's saying, I only had one child, God. We never know exactly what's going to happen, but God is in charge. And when he says something's going to happen to you, it's going to happen. We need to be patient and say, God, you're in charge. The other thing we want to remember is that he is in charge. When you're having a bad time in life and everything seems to be falling apart, God did not rip Romans 8.28 out of the Bible. Romans 8.28, as you know, was one of my favorite verses because it has sustained me all my life. For all things work together for good for those who called for love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. Not some things. Not most things. All things. The fact that we don't necessarily see what's good about it is irrelevant. I am sure Abraham did not understand why he didn't immediately at 75 years old when God gave him the promise start popping out babies because we got to we got to get these babies out if we're going to have a nation before I before I die. And he ends up with one child from with Sarah. Now if you know your Bible really well, he has 13 other children. 12 from his second wife Keturah and one from uh, Hagar. So he ends up with 14 children, and all those children, most of those children, you know, 12 of them were after he's 110 years old. Uh, and God says, they're not the ones I'm counting. But you know, when we go through trials, it shows a lot about where we are with God when, with the way we react to them. If we react with bitterness and anger and we're upset about what's going on, what are we telling God? God, I know you promised that you're in control, but I don't really believe it. When God gives us trials, what is he trying to do? He's trying to say, do you believe what I have told you? And it is, believe me, I understand, it's easy to get, <laughs> get irritated. It's easy to forget that God's still in control. But you'll notice that usually I will say when things seem to be bad, God is still in control. Now, I'm human. I'll slip every once in a while as well. But I, I do truly believe that God's got everything under control. This idea of the disease that we've gone through this last year has been a great opportunity for God to be exalted and lifted up. Now, many of the churches closed down around, around the world. Many of them have had to increase their their activities online and everything and I'm glad they did but you know I want to say that the online will never replace church online is good to be taught but we need the body of Christ and the fellowship of people to truly grow and be accountable so we will never have an online replacement for church we always have to be able to meet because it is necessary to grow with each other the other thing that I wanted to look at is that remember that God will never forsake us. And that's what he told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. God did not forsake you. When the family moved to Egypt, everything looked, they thought they were in their glory. Joseph, second in charge of the land. He's given us the best land of, of Egypt. And with one generation, that everybody was forgotten about and they were put into bondage very shortly thereafter where they were suffering as slaves and God said even during that time I did not forget you 
The church has had a similar history over the years. It started out very small, 12 people. Well, let's say 500 of all the other people. There were 12 leaders and, and about 500 others. And exploded through God's presence to take over the known world with Christianity. Do you recognize the impact of what happened when the Christianity impacted the world? We talk a lot, and I've said this during many of our Bible studies, we talk a lot about how we're becoming a post-Christian world. And what I will tell you is we're becoming a pre-Christian world. We're returning back to the way things used to be, where people killed one another at the drop of the hat. They stole from one another. If you got hurt, you didn't, you, you, they would just leave you on the roadside. And if you lived, you lived. If you didn't, you weren't strong enough to live. And those are the attitudes that are being developed again in our day. It was the Christian world that brought in hospitals, uh, orphanages, uh, took care of the widows. It was that mentality that changed the world into what was called Western Europe and Western, Western culture, Western civilization, where Christianity has not come into sway is still just as bad. There's places in Europe, Africa, and South America still which do not have the Christian mentality and morals. And we're returning backwards to what it was before. We are coming full circle from the time of Babylon. When Babylon was, was there and created the tower, and God says, we're going to separate the people's languages so that they cannot do whatever they want to do because they will do awful things. What is happening is language is not an issue anymore. We've overcome the curse that God put on mankind. I mean, if you have a cell phone, you can communicate with anybody in the world. If you don't, if you have a smartphone, let's put it that way. There's translation programs on there. You just type in what you say, hit the translate button, and they can read it. They can type in what you want on their phone, translate it to English, and you can communicate with them. And if you've got a smart enough program, it will speak the translation for you. All right? God separated the world because it was turning into one world one government, one religion, and the religion of, of Babel was all of the bad anti-God religions. All the false religions have their root in that day. And we are overcoming all of that and becoming back to that. Christi Christianity and Judaism are starting to fall away, and all the false religions are coming in. Christianity has been flooded with false religion. There are so many churches out there that don't teach the Bible anymore. And I don't encourage you to go visit them. Just, you know, don't just listen to the ones of us who have been out there and seen this. You know, if you go traveling, pray. Uh, I hear it all the time. There's no good churches wherever you go. You know, every place that I have ever went to, when it comes Sunday morning, usually on Saturday, I'm going, God, where do you want me to go to church tomorrow? And almost every time I've gone into a God-fearing, Bible-teaching church because God has led me where to go. Now, I've visited, I have visited churches that are nowhere near that. I know certain denominations to stay clear of because there are certain denominations that are so corrupted that you'll be lucky to find a Bible-teaching church in those denominations. The sad thing is many Baptist churches are getting corrupted in their doctrines. Our seminaries are becoming very liberal. 
And even in the Baptist, it's getting harder to, to find good churches. It's still a good denomination to visit, but you want to be careful. When you go to a church, do not expect necessarily to hear that you're going to get good sound teaching just because it is a supposed Christian church. They have turned from God. God is not going to forsake his people, but his people forsake him a lot. You know, and it's been said, you know, when somebody's having a hard time, it's not God that moved. God is still out there. And it's been obvious over my years as I've, won, I've walked into churches and stuff, you can, you can see it. You see somebody who goes to church all the time, they're reading their Bible, they're excited, and you just watch them start sliding down the back, and the next thing you know, they haven't been around. And you go, where's so-and-so? We'll go, I we're going to have to go visit them, encourage them. Are they, did they lose their salvation? No, if they were saved, they didn't lose their salvation. They lost their closeness with God. And it takes a lot of work to be close with God. Uh, not that God is the one that does it, but we tend to drift. We have a sin nature. We tend to drift real easy. And then we get, uh, find ourselves in a sin, and we go, well, God can't forgive this, or I can't be around those people. They'll never forgive me. You know, if we have a good body of Christ, they're going to forgive us. And you know what? I'm going to give you a nice secret. Those who don't forgive you, ignore them. <laughs> Just ignore them. If they can't forgive you, they don't know God well enough to know that they have sin that's forgiven as well. Too many times people in the churches dwell on the one or two negative people and stay away from church. When there's other people that would love them and welcome them and make, the, make a place for them. Now, is it something we want everybody to welcome us and everything? Of course, we're human. We like that. But you know what? We're never, as a Christian, going to be uni uniformly and universally accepted. The world is going to hate us, and there are going to be Christians in the, in the, that are named Christians, and there may even be Christians that don't like us because whatever. We don't fit in. We don't act right. We don't look right. We don't, we don't say the right words. We don't, we, don't, we don't believe the same exact way that they believe. We're a body of Christ for a reason. We need diversity. If everybody was like me, we'd be in trouble. Because <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of weaknesses. We need the rest of the body of Christ to be able to, to, be able to have, a, have a function. And it's been said, you know, if everybody was in the church just, just like you, what would your church look like? You know, and that's an interesting thing to think of. You know, if you're somebody who doesn't give tithes and offering, your church wouldn't be in existence at all. And maybe you're the person who gives all the money, but you don't serve anybody. You know, we don't know. What, but what has God done for you? Now, we can all grow in other areas. That's not saying, well, well, that's not my gift. I can't do that. God says we're going to grow. But how much time do we spend in prayer, study, service? You know, I've shared with you, you know, and I, I believe that we should tithe our money, but I also tell you that we should tithe our time. Two and a half hours every day belongs to God. Are you giving God two and a half hours? Don't raise your hands or not. Just, you know, for you to think about. 16.8 hours a week belong to God. Now some of us say, well, I do that with no problem. <laughs> some people go, well, God, I don't know. I've got a lot, to, lot, of, lot of distance to go. 
how much do you love God? How much of his time does he get back from you? And people go, well, God, I can't give you that much time. Well, I could solve a lot of that time for many of us. Uh, if we turn off the TV for two and a half hours a day, we'd probably be able to give God a lot more time. For some people, it might be that they have to give up their books for two and a half hours. I know somebody who doesn't watch TV, but they read about 80 books a week. Now, that person, if they're not reading God's book, needs to read, you know, read two and a half hours less a week. But are we spending time with God? Are we drawing close to him? Because when we feel forsaken by God, we've moved. That's been true with me every time. God is still right where I left him. He was real easy to find once I decided it was time to go find him. He was right there, waiting, as the prodigal father was, you know, prodigal son's father. Not the prodigal father, the prodigal son's father. He was right there waiting for his son to return. His son knew right where the dad was. He's home. Now, I don't know that he knew his dad was watching and waiting for him, but he knew that his dad was at home. In Isaiah 53, it says that God is, uh, Isaiah 54.10, it says that God is as the mountains who do, is not moved. And in a Hebrews 13.5, it says that God will never leave us. We need to really understand no matter how bad things get, no matter how dark times get, God will never leave us. As we went into this other one, he shows God in this story that we read is God showed his power to his people. Now, for Egypt, he showed them because God called them. He raised them up. Or the Hebrew people, God called them. He raised them up. He delivered them from Egypt. He guided them through the wilderness. He fed three and a half million plus people in the wilderness for 40 years on manna, quail, and gave them water. Now, that's a big deal to feed that many people. If you've ever tried to feed a large group of people, you know how big a deal it is just to feed a large group of people one time. Okay? Uh, you've got to buy supplies in plenty of advance. You've got to make sure that there's a line. The military understands this. They have to have supply lines where they have constant vehicles running back and forth to the, to the troops on the lines. Because you, your, your troops want to be fed. <laughs> You know, they, if you make them hungry, they won't stay out there fighting very long. God has said, I will do these great things for you. And I want to challenge us as we're entering into this year. Look at the Bible and see all the people that God took care of in their needs. Fed, fed Elijah in the wilderness with the, the ravens by the brook. He, he fed the widow of Zarephath from a little cup of flour and, and, and oil. She was able to make cakes for three and a half years and it never disappeared. All these things that God does that he says, I will provide even in the little things. We're in the new year. I want you to, to take stock and say, what has God done for you? It is so easy when times get hard to kind of gripe and complain that God never does anything. But you know, everybody in our church has a house, a roof over their head. As far as I know, most of us have food. And if we don't, we've got food in the back that we can help out with. Most of us have vehicles with gasoline in them. You know, what has God done for us? 
Where has God brought you spiritually? I, I look around this room and see so many people who have grown spiritually so much and know that if we just start paying attention to what God has done, when we go through the hard times, we look and say, God, you've got a promise in the future. He proves himself in the past so that we can trust him in the future because my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. If we can trust him in the past, we can trust him in the present, I know that I can trust him in the future because he doesn't change. When he said he loved us so much that he died for us on the cross, how much more love can he show us? Then he gives us our needs and, our, and, our, and some of our wants. He gives us a peace that passes understanding. He gives us joy unsearchable. He fills our hearts with love and mercy and grace for other people. I am overwhelmed when I think of all that God gives us. And yet, at times, to forget that is so important to not forget. Because God is saying, I'm giving you all of these things. Love one another. Jesus told those disciples, they will know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. That love is not our love drummed up from the inner, inner being of who I am. It is God's love coming through me and through you to one another to build up. And then the last point I want to make is just where God said at the end of this chapter, there is none other like God. Our hope is in God. Our desire should be in God and everything because without God, I have no hope. With God, everything is there. Without God, there's nothing but despair. For those of you who got saved at any older age, you know what that's like. But even at 10 years old, I knew that I needed God. There was no hope without God. I had seen enough, even at 10 years old, to know that I needed God. For those who got saved at a much older age, you know darn well what it was like to be without. I've heard those testimonies over and over. Ran my life into the dumpster and, and thought I was going to leave it there. <laughs> and God delivered it. We need to recognize that God is there to deliver us. He's there to give us everything. It cost him everything. You know, and I've said this so many times, I don't understand why God created man. When Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't a surprise to him. He knew they were going to sin. He knew the cost that it was going to be to redeem man. And yet he created man. And as many theologians have said, and I agree with, if you were the only person in this world that had ever existed and you were lost, God would have died for you anyway. I really don't understand. God gives us everything and he gets us. And when you really know yourself the way God says you are before you're saved, it seems he gets the short end of the stick. But his love for us, love for mankind, says, I'm willing to buy them back. I'm going to pay the price that they cannot pay. We always need to keep our focus on God as we go through these hard times. Paul said that the small things that he went through 
were insignificant in comparison to heaven. Now, when Paul was talking about smart, small things, we were, he was talking about being thrown into prison, being beaten, being shipwrecked, being, all, you know, we would say tarred and feathered. He wasn't technically tarred and feathered, but he was chased out of every town that he was basically went into after a period of time, if not beat with a, with a flagellum on several occasions. And he called those these light afflictions, these small afflictions that I'm going through, are nothing compared to eternity. Where is our focus when we're going through hard things? Are we focused on the things that we're going through, the problems, or are we focused on heaven? If our focus is on heaven, it really does not matter what we go through on this lifetime. This lifetime is short. Even if somehow we manage to live to be 128 years old, <laughs> or 300 years old, let's make it really crazy. We're gonna live 300 years old and it's all pure misery. If we're his in eternity, we won't remember or care about what we went through here. That was what Paul was saying. Once I get to heaven, all of this is gonna be nothing. It'll all be forgotten. Let's keep our eyes on God. Let's keep our focus on him. He paid the price so that we could be in, in heaven. So once we accept him as our Lord and Savior and we make him our Lord, <clears throat> let's keep our eyes focused on him and the prize of eternity. We're told we're pilgrims in this world. This is not our home. Our home is heaven. If you feel at home on this world, something's wrong. We should always have this desire that this is not home and this is so important and when you when we go on a vacation and you might be at a very luxury hotel or a very nice hotel but you know what that hotel is not home it may be comfortable it may be it might even be nice the food you know if it, you go to a really nice resort you know and you've gone out on a on a company paid thing and the food is all paid for and everything and the food is good but it's still not home and usually as soon as you get home it's like oh I'm home we in this world are not home. No matter how good it may seem at times, it's not home. And the good news is that no matter how bad it seems, it's not home. Home is coming. And home is perfect. As long as you're Christ. If you belong to Christ, home is perfect. If you're not Christ, home is not perfect. Home is terrible. You'll wish that you were back here. <coughs> but, you know, we need to keep this in mind. As we as in this room, and most of the people I know your testimony, we're, we're, we're Christians. Let's focus on what we can do for God. Because he's done everything for us. Let's serve him. Let's love him. Let's love the body. Let's encourage the body. Knowing that our home is not here. And that's all I have for today is for us to look and say, what is coming and a challenge for us look at what God has done I've actually challenged people you know get out a get out a notebook and start writing down all the things that God has done for you over time and when you finally get to a place where you're really really discouraged and you think God's never done anything good for me and before we laugh we know we've all been there at some place where everything just seems to be so bad that we forget all the good pull out your book 
and look at the answered prayers. Look at the things that God has done for you and remind yourself. You know, I love the song, Count Your Blessings, because that's exactly what I'm trying to say to do. But if you write them down, when you're in the midst of that dark spot where nothing seems to be going right, pull out these bo the book and say, oh, yep, look at all these things you've done, God. And we're not talking about positive thinking. We're just saying change our focus to God. Positive thinking won't get you very far. It'll get you someplace, but it won't get you very far. But when we start looking at God and what he's done, then we're able to grow and be able to support and say, God, thank you. And for because we're on this broadcast, if anybody doesn't know God, today is the day to become a Christian. All of sin to come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, eternal death and hell. Jesus died to pay for sin, so now the only thing that's going to send people to hell is to reject Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So today would be the day to come to Christ and say, God, I'm a sinner. I accept that you died for, for my sins. Come into my life and forgive me. Very simple prayer, but you have to mean it. They're not the words abracadabra, you're saved. It's you've got to mean these words. Because I've met many people, they said, well, I said a prayer when I was 10, 15, 17, 18, and they keep going over and over again, but did you ever mean them? Did you ever recognize that you are a sinner? Many of the people I witness to, they go, well, I've made mistakes. Well, God doesn't call them mistakes. He calls them sins. And for us as Christians, we need to understand that when we're going to change our life, we have to first off recognize that I didn't make a mistake. I didn't fall into a bad place. I didn't accidentally get someplace. I sinned. <laughs> we need to call it what God calls it. Sin. And sin has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Even when we're saved, sin has consequences. Why do we want to obey him? Because the consequences for obeying him are good. When I don't do all the things he tells me not to do, I don't, at the very least, I have a good conscience. <laughs> have you ever done something and then you didn't want to be reading the Bible or being around God's people because you were so guilty and you didn't want to admit that you had done something? If not, remember back when you were a kid. <laughs> and, if you're, and if you have to go back that far, you're lying. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, when we disobey God, we don't want to be around God. We don't want to be around his people. We don't want to be in his book. Because somehow we forget that God says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. God is ready to forgive if we confess. We as his people need to be ready to forgive others when they, when they confess and, and admit. And I'm going to give you a little secret even beyond that. Forgive them even before they ask. Because it doesn't really matter. If you forgive them first, you're doing what God did. God sent Jesus to die for us before we asked for forgiveness in the first place. So he was already ready for it. So we want to encourage that. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask that you be with us as we go about your business. Lord, we do ask anybody that has needs you that come to you today as they listen to this on the, on the Internet. 
and that they will come to you and then reach out to a Christian and let them know what they've done and start reading your scriptures and, and coming to church. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.